Last week, we looked at the idea of using the parables to hide the truth from people. There's a couple hard phrases in there, and if you want to dig more here, what we, we talked about last week, you can go online and listen to the sermons. But two weeks ago, Steve looked at the parable of the soils, and it's a parable that gives a picture of people's hearts as they hear the word of God, as they hear the gospel, and as they respond to it. And those parables and that parable and the parables we're going to look at today here, they, it acts as a mirror. We, we hold up a mirror to our hearts and our lives and it, it kind of reflects on back of what the nature and what the soil of our hearts is as we respond to these parables. But these lessons are really, in one sense, for those that are beginning to get it. Now, I want to begin by putting on a a verse. We didn't really dig into it last week, but look at Mark chapter 4, verse 9. It's it's really a, a great statement. And then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I think he's saying this, Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has opened you up to hear. And he goes, Don't wait. Respond to the Spirit of God. And I think there's a challenge in these parables in that is that we hear these very simple parables at times and we hear them so often and growing up we had them and we kind of go, ah, oh, they kind of make us yawn and go, you know, what's this all about? And so I think the challenge for us today, even though there's, there may be simple in one sense, is how do we respond? Do we have ears to hear and then respond? Well, let me give you the context again for this morning. I want to go to the next verse here, Mark chapter 4, verse 10. And it says this, When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked about the parables. Now, I'm going to, I underline here this phrase, and look at what he said. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given you, given to you. See, there's a sense where as he comes and he speaks in parables, he is dividing the crowd here, folks. And on one side, it's those that are eager to hear, they understand, they get it, their hearts are being changed. And on the other side is the crowd that, that the hearts are hard and the Pharisees are in that group and probably others. And as they listen to Jesus, they receive nothing. It just didn't change them. That's the context. Two groups of people, one hearing, one understanding, the other just not getting it. But here's where I also got to point out a shift that's beginning to take place here in the book of Mark here. And the shift is this. If you start and ask the question, why were people following Jesus? Up to this point, when you really ponder that question, and if you look in chapters 1, 2, 3, you're, you're going to see this. They were, they were there because of the miracles. They were there because he was healing people, and man, it was a show. The leper was healed. Blind men were made with sight. Deaf were, all of a sudden, were hearing. Those that couldn't see were, were seeing. Those that couldn't speak were speaking. See, they had followed him to get something. But the shift that now begins to take place is that he's going to de-emphasize the healing. He's going to still heal. There's some points in we'll see that coming in weeks ahead. 
but there's a, a sense where I believe that he's shifting to more of a teaching ministry. And he's saying to the group that's following him and that's getting it, he's going, guys, listen up. Some things that are going to teach you are very, very important. You see, that the crowd came for the miracles, but that wasn't his primary ministry. His primary ministry was first to come for the cross, to get ready to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And then secondly, I would argue this as well, that he came to prepare people to when he died and when he would leave. So he was preparing a group of men and women and a, and a small crowd, a small band of followers. He was getting them ready. And they were going to be used to raise and build the church. They were going to be ready and getting used to build the kingdom of God, to raise up a bride for the Son. See, those who have ears, listen closely to what he's teaching. See, Jesus wanted to produce outcomes in their lives where they would be used in the ministry of reconciliation, changed from the inside out, inviting other people, ushering, helping others ushered into the kingdom of God. But he gives these parables. And we come today to the parable of the lamp, the lamp, and the parable of the man who sows seed and the parable of the mustard seed. And I think even for here in our church today, it's for us that have ears, are we ready to hear what Jesus wants from us? Let's begin, but look at verse 21, the first parable for today. And he said to them, Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Same phrase again. But this first, this parable of the lamp. Well, let me fill in the first blank there. If you're following along in the sermon outline, I said it this way. It's very simple, and I think we hear this over and over again, but the truth about Jesus is to be made known to the world. And I think this is for the disciples. This is for us here today as well. The gospel must be made known and fully known to the world. See, the light has a purpose. The light is Christ, the light of who he is. But this phrase as well, this idea of a lamp and a light, this isn't new as well. He uses this other times. If you remember on the Sermon on the Mount, I don't have it on the screen, but let me read you from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Very pointed. Now, there's a little song that we grew up with. And, and let me just give you the first couple words. This little light of... Hey, you got it. Anybody want to volunteer and stand up and sing right now? Doug, you want to... <laughs> Pick on Doug today. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. 
we think of it as a children's song, but, but listen, this is the light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel or a bed or a bowl. No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel or a bowl or a bed. No, I've added some words there, okay. But, but see, if little kids were up here singing, we, we look at that and go, isn't that cute? But the summary of this parable is that song. And that song isn't just for kids. It is so right on the mark in terms of our lives in what God wants to do in us. See, the parable teaches us that the truth about Jesus is to be made known in a dark world. What are lights for? To reveal something into the darkness. And when God works in us, when we have ears to hear, we become, put that lamp of Jesus out in the open. You know, I, I think here's the challenge. There's a, there's a challenge that at times we, we want to remove ourselves from the darkness in the world. Uh, you know, I, I got a little, little light here. And let me just point something out here. You know, when I like this now, when it's a lot of light in here, there's not a lot of, it doesn't draw a lot of attention to this. But if we were to make this completely black, and then you put on a lighter like this, you understand people are either going to be drawn to the light or repulsed from the light. But the reality is, is that we as a body of Christ, I, I think the temptation is to circle up in a room like this and, and then we turn on our lights, but you kind of go, who needs a light in a room that's already lit? The darkness is what needs the light. And I think it's easy for the churches to become a social club for to gather the saints together and never walk out into the darkness and turn on a light. I think what we do is we work harder to have bigger lamps and lights when it's lit. But it's the darkness that needs a lamp and a light. Students, if you're a student here today, as you go to school this week, what does it mean to be a light at your school? Parents, have you ever had discussions with your kids about that? But adults, what does it mean for us to build relationships with people in the world out there, maybe at our, with our work or our families, whatever, neighbors, and where we become a candle and we hold up the candle of Jesus to people in a dark world? We can't keep this hidden. We need it to be shining. Parents, maybe a suggestion for you is at, at the lunch table today, as you're praying, maybe you need to sing the song, This Little Light of Mine, as a prayer. That would just remind you as a family in terms of what God wants to use you for this week. See, we were meant to hold up the lamp, to put it out in the open, to not hide it. It's a part of the very purpose of our lives as we come to know Jesus. But Jesus also throws in a warning. Look at verse 24. 
not going to spend a lot of time, but it says, Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. And whoever has will be given more, but whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. I, I think what Jesus is saying, be careful again what you hear, and the measure you use, you go, that's the action. And I think it's connected to all these parables, but if we try to hide it and we don't respond to it, I think what happens, that flame goes down and it gets minimalized. You know, a candle kept under the bowl is useless. But the opposite is true as well. I think the more we use it and hold up the light, that light becomes more precious to us, becomes more important to our lives. But look at the next parable, verse 26. And he also said this, What This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, and night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Now this parable, again, I think builds on the others because it tells how the kingdom operates in our world and how the kingdom expands. And he's using this example of planting. So he's given the reality of how the kingdom of God actually can grow. Now, some of you, anybody starting some indoor plants for their garden here already? Coming, maybe coming pretty soon. You maybe ordered some at Christmas time. Remember, my mom used to always get that catalog out. I never did that and, and ordered those. But once the seed goes into the dirt, you go, who makes it grow? When a little seed sprouts up out of the ground, you water it, yeah, you fertilize it, but did that make it grow? And a seed eventually grows up and it can bear fruit. But you, know, you realize that we're really not in charge of that? We really can't do anything? But what are we responsible for? In 26, it says that we're, we're supposed to scatter the seed. We're supposed to scatter the Word of God. It needs to be sown in a world. Our role is sowing. Let me put a picture up on the screen here. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, it's actually a potato planter. We used to have one actually growing up. It can be used for bulbs as well. It's, it's kind of got a kind of wide uh, snout here. And, and, and actually what happens, what my mom and dad would usually do it, and we would always carry the pail next to them. And they'd put that thing in the ground, and our job was to take the, the little potato and put it down there. It'd fall down to the bottom, and then they'd push it forward, and then it, it would open up, the bottom would open up in the ground. They just put, put one foot on it, and they were done. That's sowing, planting potatoes. But, but see, that has to happen in order for people's hearts to change. Something to sprout up. Our role is planting. Number two for your notes, I said it this way. God does his work through his word, the gospel, but we are the ones being used to be sowing the gospel, planting the seed. Uh, some of you might know the term hyper-Calvinism. Anybody know that term? 
It's an interesting term. It's one of the nuances of this. It goes like this. Because God is the one that's ultimately in charge of salvation, therefore we really don't have, aren't responsible for anything. Matter of fact, uh, William Carey, you might know that name. It's a famous missionary. He, he opened up the fields to, China, or to um, India. India. And the first time he went to his church missions board, looking to go to India, proposing a journey there. Do you know what they told him? I, I have a quote. Here's the quote. Sit down, young man. If God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it without your help or mine. That's hyper-Calvinism. See, but that can be slide over and go, well, it's somebody else's responsibility to sell. God, you're in control, so I'm just going to sit in my house and I'm not going to love people, share the gospel. But let me show you the result as God prepares these men and some women here that were going to change the world after he left. Look at Acts chapter 8. Look at this text. And Saul, by the way, that's Paul, before his conversion, approved of their killing him. There was persecution broke out against the church. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly man buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, and he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. Isn't it interesting that all of a sudden, Paul gets confronted a little bit later? But look at verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. But you notice persecution came to this church. And Jesus was getting ready here. He knew it was going to happen. But persecution comes, and what do they do? They don't huddle up. They spread out. And God used this to begin to plant the seeds of the gospel everywhere they went. See, I think at times we get paralyzed in the United States here, and we look and see what's going on in the politics in the world around us, and I don't think we realize that the gospel and its power doesn't change. You know what? The, the work of the Holy Spirit, and as we plant seed in the gospel, it's not dependent on who's elected and even how the country is doing morally in, in that sense. See, spiritual change, it takes place on God's terms. He's the one that causes it to grow. We're not in charge of it. We're just called to be faithful in planting, putting that potato down that chute and say, okay, God, we're going to trust that you're going to use that at some point. So we need to be wise and bring the word and the gospel into people's lives. We need to grow in our ability to do that. Uh, just a reminder, if you're a parent, you're to be bringing Jesus into your children's lives as well. You're planting seeds of the gospel in them. 
it might be over and over again. See, even plant as a family, as, as parents, as moms and dads. So the challenge here as parents, are we drawing our children into the scriptures, into a relationship with Jesus? Or are we just teaching good behavior and Christianese in some sense? And if we never really push and dig and help them understand the gospel, if we don't do that as parents, it's kind of like dropping the potato on top of the ground. It really doesn't get a chance to germinate and begin to grow. In the second service, I don't know if you know, but we're going to hand out Bibles to a couple of grades. We're going to start a tradition here at the church to give them a Bible that they can use. And we believe that they need the Scriptures. We need to plant the Word of God into their lives so that God responds and He pushes them and they kids respond and believe in Him and begin to become a part of the kingdom of God. You realize that rarely do people repent and believe God by, without the gospel. It's happened, I understand that, like a Paul can confront. But more often times than not, there's seeds that are planted that just begin to work. And I think we forget that. That God is the one that has the power to change people. Let's look at the last parable then. Look at verse 30. One more parable here. And again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like and what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the words to them as much as they could understand. See, these three parables, bringing light into the darkness, that's where influence happens. But he wants us to sow seeds of the gospel. But then we come to this, this mustard seed. And you go, okay, Jesus, what are you talking about here? You know, and we kind of think, well, what does God expect here? You know, again, he's, he's in a boat here teaching. You know, the crowds are on the shore. You know, and, he, and he's talking to this crowd of people and some are blind to what he's saying, but there's a few that are beginning to understand and maybe they're beginning to get it and the Spirit has been revealed that this is the Messiah. But as he continues his teaching, I think what he's doing here, he's expanding their vision. He's expanding what the kingdom of God can actually look like. But think of the people there on the shore close to him. They've been following him. They've been, they've been listening to him. But these are ordinary people for the most part. These are fishermen, just tax collectors, people who are broken physically and spiritually. And I can't help but wonder the ones that were getting it, they look at, okay, God, you're asking me to plant? Okay, I know you grow, but you're asking me to do it? You know, but Jesus, I don't have any education. I haven't been to a Bible college yet. And see, and then he talks about a mustard seed. Well, let me fill in the blank for your notes here for that. Number three, the mustard seed parable teaches us that the results from sowing is growing a spiritual kingdom that is far 
bigger than you can ever, that we can ever imagine. Do we believe that? See, this is about a bigger vision. I I think we underestimate the power of the gospel, the power of loving people. Let me just think with you a second. Think of the missions trip to Dominican Republic. The guys or ladies are going to go on. You know, I I think we initially hear that, and we think kind of like this, man, they're going to go down and they're going to build some homes for these people. They're going to have a dry roof over their heads, and we we see their houses, and and we have sympathy, especially in the physical realm, and, and, you know, and that's not a bad thing. You know, I, I think I looked at the first pictures and go, boy, the generousness of God that I can live in a nice home. But is that the only possibility here? Just building houses? And I know it's more for, the, for some of the guys than that. But is that, is that where we're satisfied with involvement? And I go, I'm not convinced that's mustard seed thinking, mustard seed faith. Just, just think with me a minute. What if the most important piece to this whole trip is the plane ride down there. Guys get on a plane and all of a sudden one of these guys are sitting next to somebody or one of the ladies and start talking of why we're going down there and and all of a sudden you talk a little bit about Jesus and the seeds are put into another person next to you on the plane and that guy leaves the plane, he goes home, and he bumps into somebody else, and all of a sudden the gospel is shared fully, and he responds. The kingdom of God has just grown. But what if that guy goes home and he responds to Christ, and all of a sudden you realize that he looks at his family, and none of my family know Jesus. Do you know that when a dad, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but it was about 20 years ago, when a dad comes to faith, about 90% of the time, at least back then, was when the, the rest of the family would come and follow Jesus. Mother, children. We do lots of children evangelism. For When a child to Christ, 6% of the time, 7% of the time, the family comes to Jesus. But what if? The most important thing is a man sitting on one, next, next to one of the team members here. Or what if we go down and they build that, those houses? And what if building that house and giving that... This, they probably don't have keys, do they, Doug, on <laughs> those doors? But they give that house to some man who doesn't know Jesus. And, and what happened? That's the tipping point where Pastor Juan has been ministering and loving to this guy. And all of a sudden, this guy says, God is real. I'm going to put my faith in him. But what if this man has a son? And that son grows up and hears the gospel. And he gets a little bit older and all of a sudden God works in him. There's a generational thing that goes on. And the son goes, you know what? There's a village about 10 miles away I need to move toward. Because there's no church there. And because of the discipleship going on, that he, another village and there's more houses to be built. And another village. See, that's the kingdom. Are we down there just to build houses? The answer is no. The mustard seeds that this, it can grow and grow and grow and become incredibly big.
See, do we believe that in our faith? That the little seed that we give, the love that we can give, that God, that people might be changed, but it, a ripple effect and generational effect in the lives of families. Do we believe that? Let me ask you a question. Jesus is sitting in a boat here telling this parable. How big was the kingdom of God at the time of Jesus? Because when you ponder that a bit, it wasn't that big yet. Do we realize that? But he was putting in seeding into these, this group of men and, and it was starting to grow. And he realized it maybe popped out of the ground the day he went back to his father. And they became a plant and they were called to grow up and become branches and spread. And that's what happened. Remember the first sermon that was ever preached in Jerusalem? 3,000 people came to Christ and then they scattered And God used it to build the church and the kingdom grew and grew. And all of a sudden, 300 years later, they don't don't really know for sure. Maybe 15, maybe 20 million people had put their faith in Jesus. Just by a little 12 guys, 11 guys. That was the mustard seed. Jesus was planting it in their hearts. And Jesus knew that a mustard seed could grow and expand the kingdom. And one day, we're the result of it. See, Jesus has given us a vision here for not just the little things. I even think of the possibilities for us as a church. Where does God want? Where we're impacting more and more people for Jesus. Lives are being changed and transformed because of our body. I gotta quit. The mustard seed was planted in that boat. How about this week for us? To think of ourselves as a potato planter, dropping that in. Is there somebody that we need to just love well, build a relationship with, come to that place where they're willing for us to hear the gospel, that Jesus loves them and God loves them and died. He sent his son to die for them. Do we have that kind of faith? Assignment for this week. Think mustard seed. Think planting. Think being a light in a dark world. Let's stand and pray.